afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, you know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Now, it doesn't have to be anything soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. And rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, I find that a casual front porch style talk with the pastors offered the best way to understanding. That's what this program's all about. Today's guest, Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. Now you can send your questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org, or you can call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that's area code 314-821-0850. Or outside the St. Louis area in North America, hey, we're toll free. That number is 800-730-2727. Pastor Sorla, welcome. Hey, good to be back. Well, before we get started, I mean, we've got a very serious thing here to discuss. <clears throat> Happy birthday to you. Uh. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear pastor. Happy birthday to you. Uh, almost almost on key. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hear me in church. <laughs> That's... Well, well, you're catching up well, to me thanks. in years now. You're officially a geezer. Thank you. You know, when if you think in percentage uh, terms, we do all eventually kind of almost catch up with each other. You yeah. Because the percentage difference between being nine years old and ten years old is a lot greater than being like uh, fifty nine <laughs> or sixty or seventy nine or eighty. So, so we kind of catch up, but we never really totally catch up. How old are you, Kip? Um, in about a week and a half, I'm going to be seventy. Seventy. Oh, okay. So, so you're we're we're kind of almost sort of a decade apart. So yeah. Today is number today is number sixty one. I've never really fully adjusted to sixty. Um, Neither did yeah, I. I had, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, what does this mean? I got an invitation from. Uh, can I put in a plug for Camp Arcadia right Lutheran Camp in Michigan? I just did. Uh, I've got an invitation from from Chip May, who runs that wonderful, wonderful family camp in Michigan, uh, to come and spend a week and do some teaching there. We did this last year, and and uh, he had in mind. Now, this is not for this summer, but next summer, and he had in mind the kind of the post summer sessions they have. They have. Uh, um, you know, it's when the kids are beginning to go back to school, and so it's less uh, family oriented; it's more adult oriented. So, so you know that I was going to do one of the fifty-five plus uh, retreat weeks, and and I, I, I for a moment I was like marginally insulted. I said, "You know, you want me to do the old people's week?" You know, what, what? and then I thought, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute! I'm over fifty-five. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. like, oh yeah." Uh, just, just don't think in those terms. I, I, I think that I live too much, maybe a little too much, by by Dave Barry's observation that whereas youth is fleeting, immaturity can last a lifetime. And and I probably have never fully grown up, but it's too late now. Well, you know that they say. Well, thank you for that serenade. Anytime. Well, you know, getting older is mandatory, but growing up is not. <laughs> exactly. I agree. I think Peter Pan was right. <laughs> I remember. Oh you know, we have a Peter Pan Motors out here in California, and it, these are high end. These are high end vehicles, so it's like, yeah, that's really very well. That that that's appropriate. That makes sense. <laughs> I remember uh, my uh, late wife was uh, was somewhat older than me, and I remember the first time she got an AARP mailing, and she looked at daggers at me. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Why did I get this? <laughs> I still throw it out. I, I just no, just no, not going there. Not not going there. Yeah, well, you know, um, deep inside, you know, see, I, there's this college student who says, "No, this is a bad dream. Wake up, you're late for class." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you married older too, huh? Well, I did my first time around. Uh, this time, my wife ah. and I are almost exactly the same age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife is five months older than I am, uh-huh. and so I get five months of merciless teasing about her being the old lady, and then today. My birthday. That that's it. That's the big equalizer. So that's the end of that. For I've been doing that with another. Mark Hawkinson here. You know, he's the host of uh, Moments of Assurance. Mark and I are about a, a week and a half apart in our birthdays, and uh, <laughs> right. I've been kidding him every time I say him. I open the door for him and say, "Okay, Mark, I understand. Age age has to go first. Yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna just kind of defer to defer to the old man. Help him help him up the stairs." <laughs> Yeah. Cruel. Yeah. So he's he's remembering that. I'm sure he'll get back at me some way. <laughs> you you can bet he will. Oh yeah. Mark is a good guy, but he definitely remembers things. <laughs> so a couple of old guys on your front porch. Uh, the front porch is a little snowy. Are you get snow? What, what, how how are you looking over there in St. Uh, Louis? What's right happening? now, actually, the, the finally starting to warm up a little bit. We're, we're oh, nice. at least not getting into the freezing weather. We're getting a lot okay. of rain. It's overcast right now, in fact, and we'll probably get some rain off throughout the weekend. But uh, hopefully, we got the snow and the ice behind us. I do remember from six years of living in St. Louis uh, how wonderful spring is when when it takes when it takes root. It takes a, it takes a little bit sometimes, but when when spring takes hold it that's a beautiful beautiful season in st louis it is of course you know in st louis especially you know it's this is one of the few places few places in the country where you can explore where you can experience all four seasons in one week <laughs> I, I i have I, I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> well we probably ought to move on to the show don't you think you think i think at this point we've become tedious so <laughs> that's uh, true yeah, so. Well, this is going to be kind of, a, of an interesting one. Uh, we as Lutherans, of course, look to Martin Luther as being the one who really rediscovered the, the biblical truths of grace and faith and forgiveness. And we look upon him as a great man. But he was a man. And as a man, he had many failings. And especially toward the latter part of his life, one of his most serious failings was anti-Semitism. And it uh, it really is pretty rough. I mean, I'm looking at uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at uh, something he wrote in uh, back in 1543. I think it was three years before his death, called "On the Jews and Their Lies." And he's he has seven specific things he says that should be done to Jews. And I'll quote him here: Set fire to their synagogues or schools and bury and cover with dirt that which will not burn. I advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed. I advise all the prayer books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry lies, cursing and blasphemy are taught, be taken from them. I advise the rabbis be forbidden to henceforth teach on the pain of loss of life and limb. I advise that safe conduct on highways be abolished completely for Jews. I advise that all cash and treasure of silver and gold be taken from them. And finally, I recommend putting a flail, an axe, a hoe, a spade, a distaff, or a spindle in their hands of the strong young Jews and Jewesses, and let them earn their bread by the sweat of their brow. Boy, that is stuff that... <laughs> that is... Yeah, 
That's a little strong. <laughs> that's, that's 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 tough. That's t- I think that's, and I think it's it's even tougher for our ears uh, to hear that. Too. It is. I, I think we're we're a little bit more sensitized. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm aware of this. We've we've gone through the the 500th, or we're actually technically in the 500th anniversary year since Luther's posting of the 95 Theses and, and the Lutheran Reformation and everything that that entails. And uh, I do know from my own experience, uh, I, I did a little bit of teaching this past summer on uh, on life of Luther and theology of Luther, and this inevitably comes up. If you If you talk to any number of people who have any familiarity at all with Luther's writings, this particular thing comes up. And so we had occasion to talk about it. And and I think it's important. I think the first thing that's important is, as you say, uh, not to ignore it or to just set it aside and say, oh, well, you know, everybody, everybody has a bad day kind of kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think it's something that you that we who um, we who bear Luther's name in, in the title of our denomination. And that wasn't Luther's idea. Luther hated that whole thing. That was something laid on us. But but you know we call ourselves Lutheran, and and so of all the Christians floating around, uh, we kind of own the old guy more than most. And so, like any historic figure, you have to be able to um, accept the good, the bad, and even the ugly at times. Just like you and I, right? You know, if, if we're going to be friends. If we're going to have any kind of a relationship, you have to uh, accept my strengths, my weaknesses, and some really unfortunate habits. And <laughs> anybody who's been kind of, married knows that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And and you know, none of this is to excuse those words, and or to make light of them or to diminish them in any way. Uh, but I think, as with all things historic, they have to be understood. They have to be understood in their context. They have to be understood in light of the the man as he actually was, not as this kind of plaster saint that we sometimes make historical figures out to be. And well, uh, feet of clay. Well, yeah, and and also the the let's admit it, the exceedingly complex relationship between Christianity and Judaism. That's that's even in the pages of the New Testament. Where, where it's, it's the Sanhedrin, the, the religious council that not only condemns Jesus, but condemns his apostles, attempts to silence the preaching of Jesus. Um, you know, the, 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 the tension is even there in the New Testament. It's a theological tension. And I think as Christians, we have to remind ourselves that the first disciples, the first round of apostles were all uh, Jews in the sense that they came out of the synagogue and Judaism. St. Paul was a, a rabbinical student. He was trained as a rabbi in the Pharisaic tradition. So there's there's a lot of, you know, that branch kind of comes back to a first century meeting point. So there's always been this, this, this strange dynamic and tension uh, between our faiths. And, and so... Uh, then you, if you overlay culture, cultural attitudes, and prejudice, and and socioeconomic issues, it, the thing just kind of like gets increasingly more complicated. But that's the way history is, and that's the way historical people are. It really is, and uh, 
you know, the I think part of the uh, historic uh, background of it is that we have to remember that uh, Catholicism before the Reformation that that was the Christian Church, and uh, I think it wasn't until I believe the Vatican II in the early 1960s that the uh, Roman Church finally announced that uh, the Jewish uh, people were not responsible for for Jesus' death. Yeah, yeah, that's all, that always comes up. You know, we're coming up on Holy Week, so that always comes up in the reproaches and mm-hmm. the Good Friday liturgies and and the readings from the gospel narratives that place a lot of the blame squarely upon the religious leaders of Israel. Well, certainly uh, who, upon the leaders. You know, they were like Vichy France. I mean, they were the... I mean, they were the they were the collaborators for the occupiers. It, yeah, the other problem is 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 definitional too. That when we use the term Jew, and Jew's a little harsh these days. We, we generally speak of the Jewish people or something of of that sort. But um, when we when we use that designation, that means different things. Um, the term actually comes. It's it's not it's not Old Testament. Uh, you are an Israelite, um, but but the term is. Uh, Exilic, you, you you begin to see it like in the book of Daniel because the the exiles, the ones who've been taken captive from the region of Judah, the Judahites uh, in Babylon, that's what the Chaldeans referred to them as, the Jews, the Judahites. So it's the people from a region, uh, it, it perhaps a race of people, so the blood descendants of Abraham, uh, but only secondarily a religion. And and it really isn't until much later that that becomes a designation of a particular religion. In fact, when the Roman government looked at Christianity, they just saw it as a sect of Judaism in their eyes. They they didn't they really didn't see much of a difference. And so uh, those two are kind of seen as cut out of the same cloth. Well, part but, of it, uh, the, the, the original term and the term that you see then uh, spelled out in the. In the Gospels, where where and you know John will use this term a lot. It's it's really more of a designation of a group of people whose ancestors are, were residents of Judea, the Judahites, um, and these are these these can trace their their heritage back to the Babylonian exile, the return from exile under Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, and that sort of thing. Only secondarily is it a a a religious denotation. Well, one of the things I know, uh, you always hear about the uh, the money changers and things along that line. Well, part of it is that, that the Catholic Church had outlawed loaning money for interest. Right. Which essentially meant that the only people who could be in the banking industry were Jewish. Yeah, see, this this then sets up some some interesting socioeconomic tensions. Mm-hmm. And then and then among the merchants, you know, you have a Shakespearean play on this, The Merchant of Venice. Oh, absolutely. That really kind of and that's a 16th that that's playing on 16th century attitudes. Uh, you know, I got a whiff of that when my wife and I were vacationing in Italy and both in Venice and in Bologna. Uh, part of the tour of the city was the Jewish ghetto. Hmm. And uh, and this was under papal orders that uh, the Jewish people would be segregated into their own uh, section of the city, and that city was that part was gated. It was locked up at night, and so. But that's and you know now it's a tourist attraction. We all walk through it, but it sets things in quite a context in in the 16th century when Luther is writing. Um, this is also this is a prevailing attitude in Italy 
uh, that the the Jewish people are to be kept segregated from everybody else and live in their own part of the city, and that's locked up at night so they don't get out. Well, so much of it really was, uh, well, it was cultural. I mean, in Europe, the uh, anti-Semitism really went hand in glove. Uh, we looked at it from... Oh, uh, 1492, you know, where not just was America discovered, but the Spaniards uh, overran Grenada, kicked out the uh, Moors, and also kicked out the Jews. Right. And uh, the, uh, uh, I forget which French king it was, I think it was uh, one of the Philips, uh, did the same thing in France. And all throughout Europe, there was this, this uh, insurgent, not insurgent, what's the word I'm looking for, rising anti-Semitism. It's always been under the surface, but it's comes up uh and it's really swept across europe i mean the uh look at the history of it I mean, poland was virulently anti-semitic long before the uh, nazis overran them russia has always been anti-semitic and is to this day and uh boy you have to wonder I, it's, it's been in the back of my mind sometimes that uh god intentionally had jesus born of the jewish people because and because he had them as an example, you know, what a wonderful thing to do, to have the Savior coming from people who are despised. Yeah, and then that, that is part and parcel, I think, of, of the, the um, despised, rejected. There's, there's a sense in which, um, if you think of Israel, not mod- the modern state, but if you think of Old Testament Israel and the descendants of Abraham as like the vehicle uh, by which the the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior Christ, uh, came into this world. You know, he's born of Mary. He's he's born as an Israelite. He's born of the tribe of Judah, a blood descendant of Abraham and David. Uh, and and you know, and he's he's born in that lineage to be the the proper king of Israel. And the evangelist go to pains to demonstrate this. But if, if you, you set it in that context and you think about it, that vehicle then continues to be despised for the sake of Christ, just as Christ is rejected. So, so it, in a sense, um, his people bear that same scandal. And, and even in the New Testament, how does the gospel get, get, promulgated throughout the world the scattering of the jews and the christians because the christians are just considered a sect of judaism so it's their scattering they were hunkered in in jerusalem perfectly happy to set up uh, headquarters and put you know one of jesus relatives in charge but but uh, god's god uses the the scattering they're scattering and there's already a scattering when the holy family goes to egypt there were plenty of plenty of jews in egypt already and and so the idea of diaspora of the scattering of the Jews, it, it's just embedded in history, and one has to kind of wonder aloud whether this is really kind of that ongoing sign, the you know that that uh, um, the the people, the sons of Abra- sons and daughters of Abraham, kind of bear that that rejection of the Christ whom Israel bore. Well, I've often thought that. Um even through this day, Jews have a very special role to play in God's plan. Now, certainly we as Christians and as Lutherans fervently hope that they accept the message of the gospel and realize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah and convert. We fervently hope this. But I think woe unto the Christian who would cause harm to to Jews. You know, St. Paul talks about this in Romans 9, 10, 11, 
Uh, and he comes to a, just a brilliant conclusion at the end that God has consigned all to disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all, uh, which is kind of the summary statement of everything that he has taught in those 11 chapters of Romans. But he wrestles mightily with this issue in, in 9, 10, and 11. And addressing the Gentiles, he says, basically, you have no reason to gloat because it's as though an olive tree or some sort of tree has been pruned and and you, the wild branch, have been grafted in where that branch has been cut off. But don't dare think for a second that the native branch can't be included back in by, you know, the master gardener himself. And so there's this kind of, uh, you know, rather than looking down or looking askance, there's, there's, this, there's this sense of a debt of gratitude uh, where Paul says, you know, of, of, of that nation was born the Christ. And, and if some due to unbelief have been, you know, if that branch has been cut away, that's to make room for the, the Gentiles because you really weren't part of this at all, but you've been grafted in by the grace of God. When you view it under grace, it's a, it's a much different thing than when you view it under law. Well, that's really the big, the big difference, I think, between the Old and the New Testaments, is that you know, the Old Testament is all devoted about the law. The New Testament is grace. This is what we're looking at here. Uh, and there is a, well, a be, message... Be, I'm sorry, go ahead. Be careful, be careful with that. The Old, the Old Testament is quite gracious. In fact, it's, it's one of the things that Israel sort of missed in the Old Testament, is that they kind of bought into this notion that Yahweh, you know, the, the God of Israel, was their local deity. He was on their side, and the Baals and, and all the other uh, foreign deities, uh, those belonged to the other nations, and their God was greater than the gods of the other nations. And this is precisely not the message. <laughs> <laughs> the message is that uh, you know the the God of Israel is the only God. There is none other. They're all sham gods. They're nothing, and their task as God's nation was not to be sort of a country club of the elect, but to proclaim the universal grace of God. To they, they were to be a sign to the nations, you know, and and so the nations are always kind of part of the plan, even in the Old Testament. But Israel doesn't get this message all the time, and so the prophets keep hammering on this thing over and over again the nations are going to come to you the nations are going to come to the lord's mountain he's going to have a feast and uh and so so it's there in the old testament and that's one of paul's big things in romans is that pharisaic judaism which is really a subset of what was going on at the time of jesus but pharisaic the judaism of the synagogue and of the rabbinic tradition missed the point that the, the Torah was a Torah of faith, not a Torah of works. And, and, and so, you know, Paul wrote a whole treatise called Romans, <laughs> devoted to this very topic. So it's, it's, it, this, is, this is big. Um, you know, Christianity is not a replacement religion to the Old Testament faith. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It takes everything up. It's like a layer cake. It takes everything of that faith and and then it brings it to its 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 ultimate and final fulfillment in the death and resurrection of the Messiah of the Christ. Well, I got into a discussion once with a uh, uh, a young guy who was a who was a I don't know if he's Hasidic or a very conservative Jew, very orthodox. <clears throat> and uh talking about the differences between Christianity and Judaism and I I I I think I referred to Christians as being completed Jews. 
Yeah. In the, that, that, that'd probably tick him off. But, uh, <laughs> he wasn't happy with it, but he had, no, I, he had a hard time refuting it. Completed. You know, it, the the problem with saying it that way is that it assumes, it says, it, it suggests that they're incomplete, whereas God doesn't deal in fractions. So, you know, it's 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 everything and then there's more. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so everything of the Old Testament is there in Christ and then there's more. And uh, fulfilled is much different than completed. Uh, uh-huh. Because it, it because it kind of suggests that that Old Testament stuff they were kind of half baked and uh, and and no they were quite fully baked it's just that there was more to come God God was God, God's plan didn't stop there it didn't stop with a nation uh, it 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 stopped with a cross and an open tomb or that that's where it was heading and and for no less than the world and and so uh, there was, God had a much bigger plan in mind than than I think Israel ever imagined at the time it was kind of uh, held held the stewardship of that plan. Well, I think the the ancient Israelites, even up through uh, even up through the uh, the time of Christ, their idea was, well, we'll conquer the world and bring the people in. Well, that wasn't quite what Jesus and what God well, had in mind. You know, you had that 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 was hot. That was hot on the whole Christ Messiah motif. That's why Jesus is always shushing it. You know, don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. Don't don't go down that path. Because uh, their notion of Messiah was was really one of a political warrior, somebody who's going to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth, uh, probably by force and and subdue Israel's enemies and reestablish by force the throne of David, uh, rebuild the temple, the whole, you know, or, well, the temple was there, but but but, you know, establish the lawful priesthood, the right throne and the kingdom of God would 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 come. Well, the kingdom of God did come. But not according to that that plan, and therein lies one of the problems. Um, nobody envisioned a Messiah who'd get himself crucified by the Roman government, or preach forgiveness and inclusion. Yeah, that too, or rise from the dead. <laughs> so you know, it, it's all a package. But you know, this is all background to Luther's um, unfortunate writing. I, I want to just 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 for context point out that I believe it's the very same year Luther also wrote a scathing treatise against the papacy of Rome. Uh, just a horrific treatise. So, uh, you know, Luther's vitriol wasn't just directed against one people. <laughs> no, he was very good at directing He's it at a, anyone. It's not a good year. This is not a good year for Luther. And <laughs> and I, I have some reasons, I think, when we pick it up again, I'll, I'll, I have some reasons why. Huh. I I, th- I think it was a bad year for Luther. Well, we'll get into that after the break because he didn't start out that way. He he started out quite differently, and we'll talk about that and then find out what happened right after this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Did you know a charitable gift annuity to KFUO provides you a lifetime of cash payments? Gift annuity pay rates are based on age, making this way of giving attractive to listeners 65 years or older. If you have questions or would like to have a personal illustration of a gift annuity, call Mary at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Look up the word Bible in Webster's 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language. It may surprise you what he wrote. The book, by way of eminence, the sacred volume in which are contained the revelations of God, the principles of Christian faith, and the rules of practice. It consists of two parts, called the Old and New Testaments. The Bible should be the standard of language as well as of faith. Often called the father of American scholarship and education, Webster took 26 years to complete his dictionary. In the process, learning 28 languages, including Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. But did you know Webster produced a modern translation of the English Bible? Difficult to understand words of the King James Version of the Bible were translated into words schoolchildren could more easily understand. In his own words, education is useless without the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Let's Talk to Pastors In. I am program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Pastor Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Christian Lutheran Church. In... <laughs> it is Christian, but blah, also blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> I sprang my tongue here. <laughs> in Hacienda Heights, California. We are talking about Luther himself and anti-Semitism. And uh, toward the end of his life, Luther became or was writing some vile anti-Semitic tracts. Yet early in his life, I've got some quotes here from him, from early writings. In 1514, he wrote, Conversion of the Jews will be the work of God alone, operating from within, not man working or rather playing from without. These offenses, if these offenses be taken away, worse will follow, for they are given over to the wrath of God for reprobation, that they may become incorrigible. In 1519, he said, Absurd theologians defend hatred of the Jews. What Jew would consent to enter our ranks when he sees the cruelty and enmity that we wreak on them? And one of my favorite ones is uh, in 1523, in the essay he wrote that Jesus Christ was born a Jew. If I had been a Jew and had seen such dolts and blockheads govern and teach the Christian faith, I would sooner have become a hog than a Christian. 
<laughs> he did have a way with oh, words. He did have a way with words. As I think I said one time, uh, maybe here, maybe somewhere else, maybe both. That that one of the geniuses of Luther is that he could he could lecture the academy and preach to the pig farmer in the same sermon. Uh, it's <laughs> remarkable, remarkable. You know, some context <clears throat> because in, whenever you meet a person in history, you know that person only through writings whether that person's writings or other people's writings or perhaps the observation of the impact on they had on history but you create a figure called Martin Luther or whomever George Washington doesn't matter uh that bears <clears throat> hopefully some semblance to reality but not a hundred percent correspondence to reality and and that's something that historians are always helping us with kind of cleaning up our uh, false notions of these people and uh one of the problems with religious people is you expect them to be just these walking glowing saints all the time <laughs> And of all people, of all people in in the history of the Christian Church, Martin Luther, uh, who you know coined the term simultaneously sinner and saint, certainly lived it, and and he understood this deeply in his own personal life of faith. That we never shake the old Adam in this life, and he's always rearing up, and he rears up in the things that we are most passionate about, the things that we feel justified in. Uh, you know, we can hold a righteous cause and the old Adam will turn it into something self-serving. So it, it, it's it's this is Luther's sinner saint. And so uh, I don't expect everything uh, unless somebody is filtering and censoring his works. If we have the uncensored, unfiltered and, you know, thanks to the printing press, we have everything he ever wrote. Um I don't expect this to be be filtered or censored. You have what you have, and and it is some of the most glorious theology there is, and just some of the worst of of you know of that age. And uh, we 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 wouldn't talk that way today, but we come from a different age, and and so there's Luther the sinner saint. The work is written in 1543. How old is Luther? He's 60. I just turned 61. You're 70. <laughs> You're a young kid. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, I, I know how crabby you can be at 60 because you know, there are a number of things going on. You know, first of all, you, you're seeing your life's work going down the tubes because you realize you're having an Ecclesiastes moment. It's all vanity. Everything that you've strived for just isn't working out. Luther wrote this on many occasions. He considered the Reformation a failure. He considered himself a failure as a reformer. And when you get down to that age of about 60 and, and in his day, you know, your mortality is looming large because uh, he died at the age of 63. So he died three years later and he wasn't feeling all that well in, 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 in 1543 when he wrote this. And you know how you are when you don't feel well. He's constantly complaining of everything from kidney stones to uh, heart problems to pains and aches and blah, blah, blah. And that so, younger generation. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and he's got constant barrage of his theological opponents and enemies. One of the greatest failures of the Reformation was the failure to ever have what Luther would have considered a, a true ecumenical council to discuss the core matters of the Reformation never happened. Uh, and, and Luther, during the 1530s, became increasingly bitter 
about that. And that bitterness spills over into other areas. One little personal item that is often overlooked is the year before, in 1542, uh, in September of 1542, Luther's 13-year-old daughter died in his arms. Now, anybody who's a father and has had that experience is going to maybe cut the old guy a little slack. You know, no, it does not excuse anti-Semitic writings, but it does, I think, sort of paint a slightly different picture of, you know, what this man's going through personally. And, and uh, you know, maybe he shouldn't have written it. Maybe Melanchthon should have pulled him aside. So, Martin, don't, don't, don't put that on the press. <laughs> not good. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I mean, this is also a grieving father. And uh, add to that just a prevailing medieval attitude against the Jews, which I, you know, outlined. It's in Italy. It's not even just in Germany. Uh, and it's all over Europe. So that so that there's nobody really willing to say, oh, don't say that. That's going to, you know, you're going to offend people. And, and it, you know, it, if anything, the troops go, yeah, 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 you tell them. But it's not Luther at his best moment, but the man's not at his best. And I, and I think we as readers of history need to factor those things in as well. And I think we as Lutherans really need to make very, very clear that we do not regard Luther as, as this person up on a pedestal. Certainly he, he showed the way in terms, of, in terms of rediscovering grace, but he was a man and he had his failings and they were serious. Yeah, and and unlike you know, the papal party of the day, hung on us the name Lutheran, and mm. what that meant was we're loyal to the Pope, and you're loyal to your Pope named Luther. Lutherans, yeah, that's all it meant. And and you know, and we said, yeah, okay, call us names. We'll take that name too. Uh, and you know, Christian was first used as an insult. So <laughs> who cares? All right. Uh, but name calling, except in today's politics, doesn't get you anywhere. And and so, being Lutheran doesn't mean that every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Martin Luther is inspired, infallible, inerrant, or even worthwhile. Uh, it, it's just that he, in that time, uh, first of all, he's the first of the reformers, or the, he's the beginning of what we call the Reformation. And and secondly, he, of, of all the reformers that came before him, or even really after him, saw the centrality of Christ and the Christian faith and the centrality of the justification of the sinner. And that's what we're following. We're not following Luther's writings. We're following Luther's way of doing theology, way of looking at the scriptures, of understanding the scriptures in a Christ-centered way. That's what makes us Lutheran, not the writings of Luther. Well, I notice um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to put a little bit of a personal experience here where uh, there are bright people and then there are truly brilliant people. And uh, I've known in my lifetime, number I can count on my right hand, the number I, I, I consider to be truly brilliant. Problem is with the really brilliant people is they think they're brilliant in all areas. Yeah, yeah, the, the sort of the omnicompetent, omniscient brilliance. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe worse, because they're brilliant in one thing, people assume that they're brilliant in everything. Um, you know, I, I, I like to slum in Luther's table talk. 
uh, table talk is just a fun place because think about it. He's got this huge table and Katie is presiding over the table. She's, you know, apparently quite, quite the, quite the host. And, uh, and all these people, it's like running a bed and breakfast in there in Wittenberg. And, and all these people are sitting around and every, every time Luther opens his mouth between, between bites of schnitzel, um, they're, they're writing down what he said. You know, if I'm if that's happening to me, I'm kicking them off the table. Get out of here, you know, or like turn the tape recorder. That'd be like that'd be like you and me having dinner at my table, and you whip out a tape. Or, you know, a tape recorder is kind of anachronistic, right? You whip out a, a a recording device, whatever it is, or just your cell phone. Put it on record and stick it in the middle of the table, and and that's it. You're not making it to dessert at my table. That's it. You're gone. You know. <laughs> But that's how we got table talk, is all these flunkies are writing down on napkins everything that Luther said. And it, I like it because it's unvarnished, colorful. It's, it is what it says it is, table talk. But do, do, I'm not going <laughs> to... That's, that's there to kind of color in the blank spaces of the historic figure and kind of restore his humanity again, a sinner saint. Uh, it's not there to give us a working theology of Luther by any means. Well, maybe um, maybe that's part of the reason. You know, we talk about, well, we know that God, everything that happens is part of God's plan. And maybe that's why he was coming up with this, why Luther was coming up with these horrible statements, was to remind us that, hey, no, th- th- this man is, he's, he's a man, and he, he too can be tempted by, by Satan. Remember and, that. And Luther, least of all, would deny that. You know, he, he's 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 the sack of maggots. You know, when he refers to himself, it's 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 the worst. He saves the, the worst vitriol for himself. Uh, so, yeah, again, context is is everything. Um, I, I think it's very important. And, and you've already alluded to this. I think it's really important for Lutherans who in their denominational name, we we, we bear the name of the reformer. Um, for Lutherans to be very clear that we are not adherents of the opinions, the philosophies, the attitudes and character of Martin Luther or even all of his writings. We're, we're indebted to him and we're proud to bear his name because of the centrality of Jesus Christ in the Christian faith, of reminding the church. He didn't discover that. That is the Christian faith. But he certainly pointed it out because it was getting a little dark. Yeah. You know, in, in amongst all the superstitions and all the all the flotsam and jetsam that accumulate uh, in in religious history, he, he's, he's somebody who discovered what, what pure gospel tastes like, and he invited everybody else to have a sip. You know? So so we're, we're happy about that. But some of the other stuff that, that, that runs along with, we have to A, own, and B, um, explain in the kindest way. A 60-year-old man grieving over his, 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 his you know, dying daughter and, and deep, what I would call a deep vocational crisis of which you know, I, I can sympathize. When I see crabby Luther in, the six, in, his, in, his, in his 60s, I'm going, yeah, yeah, I know what, he, I know what that's like. Okay? <laughs> when everything you worked for is just kind of falling apart now, and, and, and suddenly the book of Ecclesiastes makes sense, you know? 
who knows if everything that you've worked for will be handed over to a fool. You know, I say, yeah. In fact, I'm becoming the fool, you know, as I sit here. So, yeah, it, it's it. And so not to excuse it. But our church body, or the LCMS, uh, passed a resolution. Uh, we were talking about this before we went on, uh, mm-hmm. back in 1983. Uh, and, and I'm not a real fan of synodical resolutions. They're usually kind of overcooked. Uh, and they have way too many whereases and, and, and somewhat dangerous resolves. But when you read through all of this, it, it, it's good. And, and it, it, it basically um, charitably puts a, a charitable distance between Luther's opinions here and what we as Lutherans hold. And I like the last resolved very much because it reminds us of something that the English-speaking world may not realize, that in that light we personally and individually adopt Luther's final attitude, final expressed attitude toward the Jewish people, as evidenced in his last sermon. And this would have been a sermon that he preached when apparently he suffered some kind of a mild heart attack or something, but he never got in the pulpit again. And, and he said the brief quote that they use is, we want to treat them with Christian love and to pray for them so that they might be converted and receive the Lord uh, which then gets back to what I think is the charitable Christian uh, view toward anybody, as these are everybody, no matter who, whom you look at toward, uh, are these are people for whom Christ died. Absolutely. And, and the this, this Senate resolution, I've got a copy of it right in front of me here, makes absolutely clear that the LCMS deplores, repudiates statements made by Luther that express a hostile attitude toward the Jews and... Also, that uh, the the Senate opposes any kind of discrimination or, or hatred as as uh, works in the world right now, and it's a uh, it's very very clear that the LCMS renounces that, repudiates it, does not endorse it, but does endorse the universality of the message of grace, and we hope to bring that the message to all people. You know, in this whole conversation, and and this is this is difficult to say these days because because everybody likes the inclusive part, you know, that Christ is the savior of the world, that salvation in Christ is it, it is it is a universal grace of God in Christ to save. It extends to everybody, uh, and so inclusion is a big thing, and 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 it is the gospel is an inclusive gospel, but it's also paradoxically an exclusive gospel, and and that is only in Christ can we say this, because because God loved the world in one specific way that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the way in which God loves this world, and it is an inclusive love. But it's very exclusive in terms of how it's expressed. The reason I say that is we don't want to we don't want to slip into this very unfortunate and I would say unloving ditch when we basically just equate any sincere religion as being good and true. We have serious religious theological differences, but that does not excuse um, either either hateful words. Um, hostile behavior, the kind of actions that Luther outlined in that letter, none of that. Theological differences do not warrant uh, that kind of, you know, bigotry, that kind of hatred toward a group of people, that kind of animosity 
what it should drive us toward is respectful conversation. And and first, before even we open our mouths, prayer. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, I think before you talk to anybody about anything, you should pray. The John Kleinig says that <laughs> before you go to before you go to visit any member, before you confront that family member of yours who is doing all those bad things, pray. <laughs> Give me strength. If you haven't prayed, you are not equipped to open your mouth. And uh, and that is the, those are some of the wisest words I have ever heard. John Kleinig from Australia says that before you open your mouth toward another person, you open your lips before the Lord in prayer. And um, so, yeah, it is. <laughs> and boy, I, that saved me more than once from really putting my foot in it. Of course, in other times I've done it anyway, but <laughs> I'm human. That's how it is. Lord, help me extract that foot. I did it again. Yeah, um, right. Just bite my finger. So I think there are a couple of there are a couple of really valuable lessons in this, and and I'm not sure that God has a plan for every misstep that we make, but I do believe that in Christ God takes every misstep and misword that we that we say, and He makes some good out of it. He weaves it into a tapestry of good, even though we meant it for evil, as with the brothers of Joseph say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great line. I mean, I think it's God's mode of operation. Joseph says to his brothers, "You meant it for evil, but God is." used it for good as you Um, pointed out that diaspora spread christianity throughout the entire known world absolutely uh it's it's the mechanism if you would have left it to those guys and their initiative they'd still be fiddling around jerusalem wondering what what should the gentile what laws should the gentiles keep uh you know those are big preoccupation in the book of acts and it's like guys you guys you guys remember the gospel you know ends of the earth that kind of thing uh but as a result of the jewish wars and the persecutions the gospel just zoomed all the, the apostles were all over the place they they suddenly pop up in india and asia minor and and paul circling the mediterranean and things are happening but it's it's really kind of propelled the uh, horsepower comes from persecution so God uses it. Oh, yeah. I, I like to think of God. It's, see, I'm not a big plan of God person because because when I, if God has a plan, he should at least tell us what it is. <laughs> uh, you know, cause Otherwise, we're just kind of groping around blindly. Now, he doesn't um, owe us an explanation, Bill. <laughs> well, I know. I didn't say explanation. It's like I think Oscar Wilde said, if, if life is a play and God is the director, I need to talk to the, the director about the script. You know, uh, <laughs> the, We don't have a script. So, so this is improv theater, I like to think. So we're kind of doing things. Uh, guided by our reason and our senses, and God nudges us on occasion, but mostly he just does the Romans 8 thing and makes good out of whatever we throw at him. Now, that's not an excuse for throwing bad stuff around, but it is to say that there's nothing that we can throw, nor the devil, that can get in the way of God's ultimate plan of salvation. So there's kind of comfort in that. You can't mess it up. Well, people can mess things. You know, God won't mess it up, but people can. No, you, you, you can't, you can't ultimately mess it up. Well. Penultimately, maybe. You know, you can wreck the car. But that's 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 a temporal issue. Yeah. <laughs> right? I can wreck this congregation that I have. I might be. I don't know. But the, I can't wreck the church. It's not possible. The gates of hell can't prevail against the church, so certainly I can't. (laughs) I find great comfort in that. I can get up in the morning with that that idea. So even Luther's, even this this great hostility can bear good fruit in, in the hands of God who reconciles all things 
in his son Jesus. And I think part of the good fruit is a, a charitable understanding of historical figures, um, a clearer understanding of what is it between between us and the sons of Abraham, and maybe a healthy review of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. That's we, we love point. we love to hang in Romans three and four because that's the those are the Lutheran chapters, you know. But Romans nine, ten, and eleven, and don't get sidetracked by the predestination thing. But Romans nine, ten, and eleven are th- this this is speaking to the issue, and this is a guy who is of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, <laughs> blameless. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, I counted all his rubbish for the excellency of knowing Christ. So you're talking to somebody who knows what he's talking about when it comes to Pharisaic Judaism. Paul. Oh, yeah. Because he, he really did, he, he did the flip-flop. You know, he went from the persecutor to the defender. Not just the defender, the proselytizer. You know, the, the other thing I'd say, Kip, is that we should imitate the theology of the reformer, not his language, his drinking habits, his way of speaking. Uh, <laughs> now, remember, you're talking to a beer lover here. That's okay. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's fine. But uh, sometimes I think that people on the outside looking in think that the only thing that makes us Lutherans is that we cuss and we drink too much beer. You know, that, 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 that's, this is very unfortunate. And we eat, we eat strange things at potlucks. But uh, I, I think it runs, I hope. The Lutheran stream runs deeper than that. <laughs> so <laughs> just just saying out there. Well, it, it reminds me of the program we did a couple of weeks ago on stereotypes of Lutherans. That's right. That's right. I, I, I wish, if I had a heartfelt wish on my birthday, it, it would be that the, 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 the front-running stereotype is those people are just gospel Jesus crazy, okay? That's, that's, that's all they talk about is forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. What a great stereotype. I, I could live with that. <laughs> well, that's... That's what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to be, yeah, you know, yeah. pastor and layman both. See, this is why this is why we need to read the Old Testament. These things were written for our learning, not that we go and do the same stuff because that stuff's fulfilled. But boy, you can learn a lot of lessons about uh, how it is with God's people because it's a book of patterns. So my 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 Thursday Bible study is reading Numbers. They're 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 like Torah fanatics. They just like reading the books of Moses. So we're reading Numbers, and it's fascinating. This is like this is like Israel as an adolescent, just rebellion on every other page, and 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 it, and and they get grounded. They get put in time out. They get punished by God. The whole thing, but it, this is this is God shaping a people. Uh, the way one trains an adolescent that's getting a little itchy for independence and adulthood. It's, it's just fascinating. But that's the church. We're no different. We forget who we are. And that's uh, a human thing. Sinful human. Careful. Don't, don't, don't diss our humanity, Kip. Christ, <laughs> Christ bears our humanity sinlessly. It's a beautiful thing. God loves humanity. He does. He made it. He, he made it. It's just we have to understand that the old Adam is in there, too. We fouled it up. Yeah, it was us. With a little help from our friend, the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, he... <laughs> one of my favorite sayings, which is, is probably borderline blasphemous, is uh, always given the temptation. The opportunity may not return. <laughs> See, that sounds like Oscar Wilde. No, actually, uh, that was Robert Heinlein. Okay. All right. Well, 
Yeah, kind of fits. That's the world speaking right there. Yeah, that, that's the that's 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 Paul taking the 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 alter ego of the old Adam and asking, "Shall we sin that grace may much more abound, or shall we sin that we are no longer under law but under grace?" You know, you can answer that for yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, Bill, as usual, it's been a lot of fun, but we are running out of time. Darn it! I hope we solved it. <laughs> well, we can do it again in the not too distant okay. future. <laughs> I want to thank, uh, give special thanks to the Reverend Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Lord, and Honor as a theme song for Let's Talk, the pastor is in. Today's guest pastor, Bill Swirlup, Holy Trinity of Hacienda Heights, California. You've been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.